We live in a time where masculinity is shamed and men don't know what it means to be a man. As a pastor and counselor, I've spent the better part of my life equipping and training others. My goal with this show is to translate my hard-earned experience into tools and tactics to help you become stronger as a man. This is the Brave Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Valentin. All right, Brave Co. Men, welcome back to the Brave Co. Podcast. Um, I've got a real treat this week. I've got uh, a guest by the name of Brian Rucker, and he has an incredible story of just overcoming um, so many obstacles and even being a part of the the Duck Dynasty family. And um, yeah, he's just such a cool guy. He, um, yeah, he's just overcome so much. And so right now, Brian is a director of the Celebrate Recovery um, for White's Ferry Road Church. And uh, he's a counselor and a therapist and owns his own um, sober living program. It's just such a cool dude saving guys from the pit of hell, helping them break out of addiction. And I'm really excited to hear Brian's story and then dive into to um just yeah, how you how other men can find help. So Brian, thanks so much for coming on today, man. Hey man, I really appreciate y'all having me for sure. It's a uh, it's exciting to be able to share the good news of Jesus and uh to be able to do stuff like this with you guys, man. I've been looking at uh, some of y'all's stuff and it's really good. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Hey, why don't you take us uh, through how you grew up and um, what your childhood was like? Yeah, so I grew up uh, on the north side of Houston, Texas. Uh, I grew up in an all-black neighborhood. Uh, so I used to have to fight before I got on the bus, when I was on the bus, and when I got off the bus until wow. eventually uh, I was just a another kid in the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, the first time I seen someone get, uh, get shot, I was nine years old and it kind of put a lot of stuff into perspective for me, which now that I'm a counselor, I realize that those are realities that you don't need to try to process at nine years old. But, you know, I used to watch these shows like family matters, full house and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you would see just, you know, this happy-go-lucky family, people sit together at the dinner table and things like that. And uh, I would, you know, be in my neighborhood and then there in the two-bedroom apartment that we lived in in the in the projects. And I'm like, man, that's just not real. And uh, after that shooting happened, I came to the reality that, like, you can die at any moment. And so... Uh, everybody that I was around, I didn't have my father in my life. It was just my mom and my grandmother. So everybody that I was around were gang members and drug dealers. And so naturally that's just what I wanted to be. And, uh, I kind of felt like it would help protect me, help me fit in and everything else. So by the time I was, uh, 11, I'd started smoking weed, selling weed. By the time I was 12, I was selling crack cocaine. And at 12 years old is whenever I got jumped into a gang. Um. And so that's kind of just to give a little bit of, uh, you know, a description of what life was like for me growing up. I mean, that's the environment that I was raised in, um, you know, and, and so, yeah. Man, that's wild. How did, like, how did that end for you? I mean, how did you get to a turning point in your life? 
Well, so, you know, uh, whenever I was 13 years old, um, you know, my mom, she went into the hospital for tumors and, uh, she ended up being in the hospital for almost an entire year. They would go in, remove a tumor and then another one would develop and then they would go in, remove that tumor and another one would develop. And, uh, she ended up being in the hospital almost for an entire year. Uh, on one of the last surgeries that they did, uh, they ended up sewing her back up with one of the towels that you wipe up blood with in the operating room inside of her. And so it oh caused a foreign body infection. Um, I remember going to the hospital, seeing her hooked up to these tubes, them just pumping this fluid out of her. And, uh, they inevitably sent her home. And a week later, it was December 18th. I was uh, just going outside, hanging out with my friends, you know, selling little bags of weed. And my mom kept wanting me to watch this movie with her. It was a uh, chicken run. It was like a claymation movie. And uh, I didn't I didn't want to watch that movie. And the whole day she would ask me, hey, we watch this movie with me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be back. And then I'd come in later and she's like, Hey, the movie's coming on. Are you going to watch the movie? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be right back. Well, uh, on one of the last times that I came in, um, I remember hearing her snoring. And so I thought to myself, good, I ain't got to watch that stupid movie. And, um, uh, I come back in for the night and I, I just go to sleep. And the next morning, uh, I went to wake her up and she had passed away that night. So, Oh when gosh. I was 13, I found my mom dead. And, you know, I remember being, uh, I remember being sad for very, very short period of time, only a couple of minutes. And then I immediately turned to anger. I, I remember the paramedics came and set me down and, um, and they said, Hey, we're sorry to tell you that your mom passed away. And, and all that did was make me angry because I felt like, man, I know that, like I found her, you know? And anybody that tried to come and console me and, and things like that, I just didn't want anything to do with. And so, um, I spent, uh, a very long time extremely angry and growing up in the, the environment that I was in, being a part of a gang, selling drugs and everything. Um, it was just a, a recipe for disaster. And so, uh, I ended up getting my first gun, uh, you know, a few months later and, I decided that I'm going to commit a robbery uh, that ultimately lands me in juvie for the first time at the, I'm wow. still 13 years old at this point. Uh, they sent me to TYC for an aggravated robbery charge. Um supposed to do nine months. Uh, they kind of shown me a little bit of grace because of, uh, you know, my age and different circumstances. And uh, I was supposed to do nine months in TYC, which is Texas youth commission, basically, uh, prison for people under the age of 17. Um, and I go in there and I start a gang and all kinds of stuff. I've always, man, I've just, you know, God gave me the gift of being able to talk to people and to lead men. Uh, and I've never been the biggest dude, the baddest dude or anything else, but I, I just always had this ability to uh, rally people together, whether it was for good things or it was for bad things. And so wow. I started this gang and, uh, I turned my nine months into two and a half years. So then I'm locked up from the age of 13 to 16 years old. Um, I get out when I'm 16 and I had, uh, made some connections with 
people while I was in there that uh, was able to get large quantities of marijuana and cocaine. And, uh, you know, I, I get out with all these ideas of, oh, I'm going to go to high school and get a diploma. Uh, you know, I'm going to get a job and everything else. And it just, that just doesn't last. It doesn't work out. Uh, and, you know, less than two weeks later, I'm back to selling drugs. And with those new connections I had, uh, it's just throughout my life, I've had this theme where I'll start with this one little idea and it just kind of blows up into something that I, you know, I definitely didn't anticipate. So before I know it, I'm going down uh, to the valley, uh, which is, you know, Southern Texas, you know, just before you get to the uh, Mexican border. It's what we call the valley. And, um, you know, I'm picking up large quantities of uh, marijuana and cocaine and I start putting them on the interstate and uh, that just kind of blew up into a whole thing. And, you know, we don't have the, the time of day to really describe what all comes along with that, but to kind of put it in perspective, um, we started making upwards of $60,000 a month selling drugs, had a pipeline from Houston to Columbia, South Carolina, and I'm not even 18 years old yet. You know what I mean? I'm 16, just turned 17 years old. And, uh, you know, it's it's like, man, there's two sides to that coin. There's the, you know, the stuff that people see in the movies and and the music videos and, and, and songs like, oh, yeah, you're selling all these drugs. So there's cars, there's women, clothes. And, yeah, that is a part of it to some capacity. But the reality of it is uh, you don't really see much of it because there's so much chaos and madness going on at all times. And so you're kind of just in this, like, you're stuck in this survival mindset, uh, always watching your back, always worried about what's going to happen or if we're going to get jammed up or something. And so, you know, it really, there's not a whole lot of benefit, you know, uh, people here, oh, $60,000 a month selling drugs. Well, Man, there's not a whole lot of benefit to that, really, when you boil yeah. it all down. And so um, just like anybody else operating on that level, it doesn't last long. Uh, whenever I was 17 uh, in 2007, uh, I ended up getting arrested for a gang-related shooting in which a person died. Uh, and I ultimately, uh, you know, go to go to jail for it, um, was convicted and then uh, fought the charges for another three years on appeals. Uh, so I then inevitably beat the charges. Uh, but, you know, just that situation in general is something that really messed my head up because, yeah. you know, I'm 18 years old. The state of Texas says, hey, you're going away for life. Um, I'm sitting there trying to wrap my mind around that, you know, realizing, man, I ain't never been in love. I've never worked a real job. I've never done anything other than be locked up and like just see all this chaos around me. You know, I lost my mom. I never knew my dad. I did have my grandmother in my life and she was there for me. She always looked out for me. Uh, but, you know, now I'm going away for the rest of my life. I'll never see her again, you know, because that's always the fear when you get incarcerated is like, yep. well, people are going to die when I'm in here, you know? And so, uh, 
beat the charges uh, a few years later, end up getting released. And, uh, you know, I'm right back in the same neighborhood I was at that where the shooting took place, you know, my neighborhood. And uh, as soon as I get there, the cops uh, hem me up and they tell me, hey, no matter what we got to do, we're going to get you off the streets. Uh, you were never supposed to get out. And I really felt like they were either going to set me up or kill me. And so I knew I needed to get out of Houston. Uh, I get with this girl that I used to mess with. She's telling me that she just had a daughter and she's getting ready to move, you know, away from, you know, the, the city of Houston. And I pretty much just, uh, you know, hatch, you know, hatch, hatch on to that and, uh, you know, start moving further and further away from Houston, thinking that that's the answer. Uh, and for the next several years of my life, that's what life consisted of was basically move somewhere, work a job, get laid off, move somewhere else, work a job, get laid off. Uh, and I eventually land in East Texas and I'm working at like a chicken express. Me and her had split up. We had, uh, had my son. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking, okay, well, as long as I don't sell drugs or do anything like get gang related, then, you know, I could be a father to my son. And, uh, sure enough, I get laid off from that job at Chicken Express and I'm like, man, screw it. I'm going to just like, it's my destiny to sell drugs. Uh, so I make a decision to go back to it. And around that time period, uh, my grandmother had just gotten out the hospital. And she was living here in Monroe, Louisiana, uh, which is where my mom and my grandmother are originally from. And uh, after I went to jail for the shooting, uh, she kind of moved back here to Monroe, Louisiana. And so um, she had gotten out the hospitals around Christmas time. And so uh, I decided to come out here and visit her. And uh, I'm standing outside talking to my aunt, um, who I, I don't really know that much. And uh, they're telling me that they're going to put my grandmother in a nursing home because insurance wouldn't pay for someone to be with her at night. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I said, well, I'll move out here and take care of her. And, wow. uh, you know, I knew I knew that I didn't want to go back to selling drugs and I knew that I had already gone back to it uh, after I'd beat that that shooting case. Uh, I really felt like if I ever went back to to prison that they were going to hide me. Like I would never get out. And I've never, I've never really been afraid of a whole lot. Uh, but the one thing I was afraid of was my son having a life like mine. Um, because this dude is just like me, like in every way, he looks exactly like me. He acts exactly like me. And so I just didn't want him to ever have to feel the things that I felt or go through the things that I went through. And so I knew I didn't want to sell drugs. So I, I literally, I'm, I come back to East Texas. I give the drugs to my roommate, give him the keys to the apartment we were staying in and, uh, load up and, and move to Monroe, Louisiana. And, uh, you know, I was never a believer, man. I was, grew up totally atheist. I didn't believe in God. Even when I was incarcerated, people would like go to church service and stuff. I wouldn't go. And if I did go, it was to like exchange cigarettes or something. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it, you know, I just, I thought it was all pointless. I didn't believe in it at all. And so I get here to Monroe and, um, 
you know, I started going everywhere looking for a job and uh, literally McDonald's and Taco Bell wouldn't hire me. Like I couldn't catch a break nowhere. Couldn't find a job nowhere. I'm staying in this one bedroom apartment with my grandma at this retired living community. I'm not even supposed to live there. She's having to lie to the, the manager of the apartment saying, no, he doesn't live here, but I'm like living there. And, um, and, and I'm just driving down, you know, one of the main roads here in West Monroe's Thomas road. And I see this big Brown building off to the right and it's a uh, duck commander. And, uh, I say, well, you know what? I'm going to go in there and, uh, put in an application that way. Whenever I'm telling people how I have to sell drugs because society won't allow me to get a job, uh, I could say that I tried and I go in there, put in an application uh, about another month goes by. And at that point, man, I was just so insane, like actively living inside the insanity. I mean, um, wow. you know, people talk about just being in this darkness and man, it seemed like my entire life was consumed with just, um, PTSD, uh, all kind of, like I didn't sleep at night, had insomnia, like just all this different stuff that I was trying to wrap around my mind. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I, I would stay in my grandmother's restroom all night, just staring in this mirror, getting high and drunk like trying to figure out like, what's the point? Why am I here? Why did I beat that charge? Uh, cause I know the things that I've done, right? Like I know where I, where I'm supposed to be and I'm not there. Uh, and, and am I just free to suffer? Like what's the point in it all? And then I randomly get a phone call from this guy named Blaze Thomas at duck commander. And, uh, he asked me to come in for the interview and, um, you know, I get there and they're trying to figure out like, how did I get there? And I, I knew that blaze called me and everything. And I remember literally seeing one of the guys like open up the door uh, to look in the area where I was sitting at and uh, you know, just trying to like check me out. And I see him close the door and be like, I don't know who that guy is. You know what I mean? And so I go into the interview and it's blaze and another guy named Brad uh, who are, you know, Brad's kind of working the warehouse blazes there to kind of manage things. Um, because after Doug Dynasty took off, it, it was just mass chaos around there. There was a time period where if you had a pulse and could put together a duck call, they were hiring you. And then they had opened up the <laughs> store because there were so many people, uh, just coming by to visit and everything like that. And so. Um, you know, it just kind of turned into this huge mess of just thousands of people coming by every day, them trying to manage it all. Uh, so then they got to this point where they had hired Blaze to come in and kind of like, Hey, we can't just hire everybody because this isn't working. And so then they started just hiring, you know, people that they knew in some capacity or like had, uh, you know, like a legitimate application, friends of the family, church family, stuff like that. And, um, so there I am sitting in the interview and they're like trying to fill me out. They're like, Hey, you know, uh, if you got the job here, how would you like that? And, uh, for whatever reason I told him, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really care if it's you or McDonald's. Like I'm just trying to feed my kid and I don't want to sell drugs and do it. And he was like, okay, I've never heard that before. You know what I mean? And, uh, 
And then, you know, he goes, well, if you get the job, when could you start? And I, I stood up and I untucked my shirt and I said, man, I'll start right now. You don't even have to pay me. And, uh, he was like, all right, man, well, we'll call you. And he pretty much like kicks me out the office, you know? And so I like go back to my grandma's apartment and I'm like kicking myself. And, you know, it's like when keeping it real goes wrong. Like I told these people, I sell drugs. Like there's no, you know, there's no point. They're not calling me. Um, and, uh, couple of days later, they end up calling me. I missed their phone call five times. They kept calling me. And uh, ultimately was like, hey, if you want the job, you can start Monday. And so I started that next Monday folding clothes for $8 an hour up there, Duck Commander. And, um, you know, I just went in there and I just went to work. Yeah, I, I, you know, I just went in there and went to work, man. And I wasn't like, I didn't care who anybody was. I, it didn't phase me at all. I was just like, just trying to work a job. I think the first time I met Willie, like he walks in and he goes, Hey man, I'm Willie Robertson. I said, Oh, cool. And I just went back to working. Like I didn't pay him any mind. And, uh, you know, people started asking questions like, man, who is this guy? You know? So one of the guys comes in and he says, um, Hey man, uh, you know, where are you from? And so then I've always been pretty open. I tell him where I was from and, you know, kind of what I've been through, you know, not giving, not knowing that I'm giving them a testimony at the time, uh, just kind of, Hey man, this is who I am, you know? Um, cause it was pretty obvious I wasn't from around there. And so, um, <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, I tell them where I come from and they're like, man, like, how'd you get a job here? Who'd you know? And I said, I didn't know anybody. I just put in an application and y'all called me. He goes, I didn't think we did that anymore. And, and so come to find out, uh, one of the buck commander guys, uh, as a prank, um, they had these, uh, the stack of applications on one of the desks in, uh, one of the offices of just applications of fans that would come by. You know, like I said, there was thousands of people coming by every day and, you know, they sometimes ask for an application. And so they, you know, let them fill out an application and then they take the applications and just kind of set them on this desk. And it's, you know, just people that probably aren't local, that they're not really, you know, there's not a whole lot of motivation to call or anything like that. And uh, as a prank, one of the buck commander guys randomly pulls an application out of that stack and puts it on blazes desk of people that, you know, knew somebody that they were going to call. And that was my application. And so after they hear that, they're like, Oh man, you're here for a reason. And I'm like, bro, don't come at me with no Jesus stuff. Like I'm not sure. Like I'm just trying to work this job, you know? And, uh, man, they said, uh, three words to me that, uh, were very revelating. And, uh, hmm. you know, it's stuff that people hear all the time. Uh, and it, it might sound cliche sometimes, but honestly, man, like they said, Hey man, it's cool. We love you. Right. And it was them saying, we love you. That just did something to me. You know, uh, these dudes never opened up a Bible. They never pointed to any verses. They never told me that because of all the stuff I did that I better turn to Jesus or else, you know, I'm going to hell. Like it was never none of that. It was just like, Hey man, we love you. 
And they seen talents and gifts in me that I didn't necessarily realize I had. And they started giving me more and more responsibility. Next thing you know, I'm running uh, this little concession stand basically for Willie. And, um, you know, uh, then they're like, hey, man, can you sell stuff? And I'm like, man, I've been selling stuff all up and down the Gulf Coast my whole life. And they, you know, and so they, uh, so they're like, can you sell this coffee? Like, cause we don't, you know, we need to sell this coffee. And I was like, I was like, man, give me, give me a, a display of that coffee. And it was called Willie's watering hole. And I said, I'll bet you I outsell the store in coffee over here at this session stand. And they did. And, uh, and I outsold the store in coffee. And so they were just like, man, this dude, this dude's got something. And they all just took a liking to me. And, uh, so, you know, of course they're inviting me to church the whole time and I'm just like, yeah, whatever, you know. Um, and then I finally, uh, make the decision to go to church. And I remember thinking, okay, well, I'll go to church. They'll see me going to church. Maybe they'll give me a raise or something. Right. Like it was almost like I'm going to get in where I fit yeah. in. And, uh, yeah. you know, so I go to church the first time and I'm sitting there and I'm listening. And I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, pastor's probably driving a Mercedes or something, you know, just all the stuff. And, and then I leave, I go back to work that Monday and, uh, I remember thinking like, okay, cool. I ain't got to do that again. Surely everybody saw me. Well, people saw me, but when I got to work Monday, didn't nobody say nothing about it. You know what I mean? Like it was <laughs> never like, a, Hey man, we seen you there, you know? So I was like, crap, I got to go again. And so uh, I went again and then I went again. And the more I went, the more I listened and everything that didn't make sense made sense. If I put God in the equation, you know, I used to base wow. my life on science and logic. Scientifically, I should be dead. And logically, I should be in prison the rest of my life. And uh, yeah. I never could make that mathematically or logistically add up in my head. And it literally drove me insane. And the only thing that has ever made it make sense to me uh, is if there's a God and he has a plan and a purpose. And um, so, you know, I'm still hard headed, though. Right. So I'm like, OK, all right. <laughs> I'm starting to believe God. If you're real, show me. And uh, I'm going to open up this Bible here and uh, I'm going to read about you. And uh, and if you're real, I'll know. And surely, man, I started opening it up uh, and I started reading and and it was like God was revealing himself to me in the way that a loving father would. Right. Like not in this mm. condemning, um, you know, way, just in this these scriptures of, you know, my favorite scripture, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Uh, there's nothing uh, high or low angels or demons or anything else in all of creation. Uh, that'll be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And it's like, like, wait a minute. Okay. And so uh, ultimately make a decision about a month later to get baptized by Phil. And, um, you know, that's how I came to know Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, it, it was like, it was like zero to a hundred real quick. It was like one, one day I'm, you know, working, just selling duck calls and selling coffee and stuff. And, Next thing I know, I'm leading devotionals and people are flying me all over the place to tell my testimony. And they'd started using me on the show, uh, started doing a lot of work with Buck Commander and 
going on hunts and, and things like that. And it was like, I don't want to say it was too much too quick, but I definitely mm-hmm. didn't have a grasp of how to walk an authentic life out with Jesus. Yeah. I still thought in my young adolescent Christian mind, oh, well, you know, grace abounds, you know, uh, he knows my heart. So, yeah, even though I'm still smoking a little bit of weed, sleeping around with these women and, uh, you know, having a few beers, like he knows I'm out there doing the work for him. He knows that I, he knows that I love him and I got him in my heart, you know? And so I, I got into this space where I was almost living this like double life, but yeah. you know, honestly, at the time, I just didn't know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I really didn't know. Yeah. I thought that, you know, this like, oh, it's all good, man. Don't worry. You got Jesus. You're in, you're in, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and so, and so, yeah, I ended up getting arrested again three days before my episode aired on Duck Dynasty. Uh, and, uh, I'm for a DWI and a possession charge. And I, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in jail and I'm like, man, how did this happen? I got Jesus, you know, like, what am I doing sitting in here? And it was, it was a whole different experience, man. Like so many of the, uh, share, you know, uh, sheriff's officers were, or sheriff's deputies would like come and do details for us at duck commander. So I had made relationships with them and I'm sitting in the holding tank. And they see me and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, oh. you know, and, uh, and I'm, and I'm just having these thoughts in my head and it's kind of like, well, it, and then it just hits me. It's like, man, God, you're going to really make me change. Like this isn't something I could just talk about. This isn't something that I could do from nine to five, uh, either I'm for you or against you. Like there's no real gray area. In that moment, it became highly evident to me that, hey, what you're doing isn't what I want you doing. And then my next thought was, well, this is all pointless anyways. Like I didn't ruined everything. Um, and to my surprise, you know, one of my mentors, uh, Grant Taylor, who's the general manager of Buck Commander uh, at the time, and then Willie and everybody that came, got me out of jail, uh, let me keep my job. They just told me to sell my vehicle because I didn't have a driver's license. I wasn't supposed to be driving anyways. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, move into a, uh, celebrate recovery home and start working oh, wow. the celebrate recovery program. And, uh, uh, that's, that's how I got to CR and that came with its struggles and everything else. And, uh, but you know, whenever I finally got to a place, uh, to where I was done, trying to make things about me. I was done trying to run the show. Uh, and instead I just said, you know what, God, I know that I gave my life to you, uh, but I didn't give my mind to you. I didn't give my actions to you. I didn't give my thoughts to you. Uh, but whenever I made a decision that like, I'm going to give everything to you and have the faith to humble myself and to walk through a process that I don't even know how this is going to pan out. Um, you know, I really felt like, like that's, he's like, that's where I needed you to be. And, um, and it, and it was through that, that, uh, you know, I'd lost a lot of things. I ended up getting fired from buck commander. Luckily, Willie was willing to keep me on a duck commander to help out there and run some tours for people. Cause I 
been on the show and I was pretty much desperate because I, I did, I was, I'd screwed everything up and, um, man, they just kept showing me grace. They kept showing me love. They showed me accountability too. You know, I think a lot of times people, whenever they're trying to disciple someone, um, they're a little bit afraid to set firm boundaries and hold them accountable. They just want to shower them and cover them in grace, which is true. But, you know, grace and love sometimes means grace and tough love. And uh, that accountability was really helpful for me and uh, and me getting to where I'm at. And, uh, you know, so I started going all over the place speaking again, Uh, started doing stuff with Buck Commander again. Uh, I was living in this sober living home. I was literally on a TV show working for Buck Commander, going on hunts with professional athletes and country music stars. And then I would come home and go live at a sober living house with a bunch of other drug addicts and alcoholics. And um, and I ended up being there for two years, uh, worked my way back up at Duck Commander, everything like that. And I uh, went to speak at this treatment center. And they said, uh, hey, man, you know, I heard you speak for 30 minutes. I think you would be a great counselor. And um, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I was like, I'll never do that. <laughs> and um, and they said, well, we'll pay for, you know, you to get your credentials and stuff. And I was like, yeah, not interested, you know. And uh, I go back and I tell the guys at Duck Commander about it. And they're like, man, are you sure that's not a good idea? I mean, it feels like something God wants you to do. And I was like, no, nah, man, my future's here. This is it, you know. And those guys love me so much that they, they were like, man, I don't know, you know, like, yeah, you, you are family, you have a job here, but it seems like something that God wants you to do. Actually, Willie was the one that told me that he said, uh, he said, man, look, your family, you always got a job at Duck Commander. He said, go try it. If it works out great, if not, you know, whatever, what do you got to lose? It just seems like something God wants you to do. And, uh, and so I went and. Turns out God's got a better idea about things than I do. Uh, that ultimately led to me being one of the most sought after addiction counselors in the state. Um, and, uh, wow. you know, from there, uh, you know, just a lot of, a lot of blessings have come. I now the sober living houses that I lived in for two years, I now own that program. Uh, and we've wow. expanded it out, uh, and, um, you know, I had the opportunity to share, uh, through I am second, have the white chair film, which has been a huge blessing. Um, and, uh, you know, still just having those guys in my life to, um, disciple me, mentor me and guide me and really take me into their family. I don't, I don't really have family, but those guys have taken me into their family and, um, you know, through something like Doug Dynasty and, just, uh, you know, buck commander and the different relationships that I have with all that. Uh, it's really given this platform for me to be able to go and share the gospel with people. And so I've, I've preached everywhere from Hawaii to North Carolina and everywhere in between. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, what I tell people all the time is I don't really, I don't really got a whole lot of plans. Uh, I'm basically just, uh, tilling the field. You know, God puts it in front of me. And he says, steward it to the best of your ability. That's what I do. Um, just putting one foot in front of the other and whatever God's got for me, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And, uh, Gosh, man. so, you know, now I'm full time, uh, here at the church. This is where my office is. 
um, the director celebrate recovery now, uh, which is, you know, I never thought I needed celebrate recovery. I told, <laughs> I told, I told the guys up there, they said, Hey man, I think you should go to CR. And I said, man, what are you talking about? I said, I'm a drug dealer, not a drug addict. And they, they were just like, <laughs> I don't know, man, you know, but, uh, so, you know, here we are and, and I'm just on this journey with Christ and, you know, try not to live for this world, but for what he's got next in heaven, you know? Gosh, man, what a crazy story. It's, uh, man, it's so inspiring and just so crazy what God can do with a life surrendered, you know, no matter what we've done, no matter where we started, the cards that were dealt. I think so many guys forget that, right? Like so many guys look at their life and it's so easy to get down, right? About the cards that you were dealt. I mean, as a kid, you were so powerless to the environment that you were raised in. You didn't get that choice and, and your mom dying and, you know, not knowing your dad, but it's crazy. Like it really is so crazy. What happens when you surrender your life to a God who loves you and who cares for you? Like, that's why your testimony is so powerful is it gives hope to every person that feels like they have an excuse, you know, of, uh, it feels like they're a victim and because mm -hmm. really like at, at a lot of places in life, you are a victim and you have to decide to be powerful. Like your story is so incredible, man. That's amazing. Yeah. You um, know, what I tell people a lot of times is, uh, you know, I think God is perpetually trying to get us to convert our burdens into blessings. So the things that uh, once hurt us and hindered us into things that help us. And yeah. uh, I think that that's how God kind of uses everything to his glory. I mean, you go back and you search, um, you know, the Bible and, and all these different bastions of faith uh, that we have. Man, these dudes were jacked up individuals, right? These were yeah. not your... These were not the like, oh man, that dude there. Yeah, we know he's going to do great things. No, they were like, yeah. that guy? No way. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, and, and, you know, I like to tell people too, you know, uh, I didn't have this, this burning bush moment. I didn't have a road to Damascus moment. You know, I wrestled with God like Jacob did. I was like, man, if you're real, you're going to have to show me. And I was hard headed and fought it every single time. Uh, but man, he, there's, there's, uh, there's no, uh, wall, uh, mountain he won't climb up and there's no lie he won't tear down coming after you. And if you just shift your positioning towards him, you know, he's going to meet you where you're at every single time. And, um, you know, kind of one of the things that, uh, that I really, try to help people to do, especially whenever I'm working with them, uh, you know, through counseling or, or in our houses is, uh, to really get down to those core beliefs. You know, you talked about, yeah. uh, you know, the cards you was dealt, right. And, um, you know, your beliefs will give you your perspective, your perspective will give you your thought process, your thought process will bring you to your actions and behaviors. And then your actions and behaviors will determine the life that you have. So yeah, if you at the core believe that these are the cards I was dealt, this is all I'll get. Well, then I begin to perceive the world like somebody that's limited and unable. 
If I perceive the world yeah. like somebody limited and unable, then I begin to think like a victim. If I think like a victim, then my actions are ones that just help me get by or survive my self protector. And then my life is ultimately a limited version of what it can be. However, you know, the vice versa of that, the other side of the coin is if I believe that no matter the cards I was dealt, that Jesus uh, is going to do a new thing and he puts new wine and new wineskins and he is always going to bring the things that he starts to completion and that he's got a plan for me and a purpose for me, uh, then I begin to uh, perceive the world like somebody that can be victorious because Jesus is already victorious. And if I perceive the world like somebody that is coming from victory and not trying to get to it, then I begin to think like somebody victorious. If I think like somebody victorious, my actions have kingdom implications, and then I live a kingdom lifestyle. And so it's great, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. I love it. Just in closing, like I know there's a lot of guys that, um, what, you know, are part of brave co that also will listen to this and, and they're either stuck in, you know, addiction or, um, just coming out of it. Like what's your advice for, for those guys just, you know, real quickly. Uh, you know, communities, the make or break component for people that get sober and stay sober. Uh, don't yeah. try to fight this battle alone. Uh, reach out to people and get honest and authentic about how you feel, right? I think Jesus gave us a very clear example of this in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep yeah. watch with me. He goes over and he puts his face to the ground and he prays earnestly to God. And he says, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but thy will be done. Um and yeah. then he comes back and and when you see him get up from that prayer, he's almost like resolute. And I think that there's three things that he does there that that anybody that is struggling can start doing today. Uh, and that's first, he tells some people how he's feeling and he asks them to stay with him. So that community aspect, he gets real and he says, hey, this is what's going on with me. And we're talking about the Messiah, right? And if he felt it was necessary to tell some dudes, hey, I'm suffering. I need you to be here with me. I think we can do that, too. Right. Yeah. And then what he does is he says, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But not as I will, as you will. Right. So he prioritizes his faith over his feelings. Right. Prioritizes his purpose over what's going on. And so whenever you reach out to people and have community, they can kind of help put that into perspective. You know, sometimes the way a person feel drives them to use alcohol or drugs. And if you can somehow not base your next actions off of how you feel, but rather what's truly important, your purpose, then that tends to just, uh, that tends to put things in a better perspective. And then the last thing, that Jesus does in that is he pours out his feelings to God, his heavenly father. And so get some community, get around people, just be, tell them what's going on with you. Then prioritize your purpose and what's important over how you feel and go ahead and hit your knees and pour it out to God. Cause he's going to be waiting for you and listening. Gosh, man, that's such a good word. Brian, you are a good man. And, um, 
I love what you're doing. I love uh, just the ownership that you've taken in in your life and taking that that leap of faith to you know jump in and become a counselor and do something that man you didn't necessarily have in your heart from the beginning, but God said, "Hey, this is this is what I got for you." Like that's super cool, man. And um, yeah, it's a privilege to uh, to have you on the podcast today and just that testimony, right? Is that that spirit of prophecy that goes out to every other man where they get to look at you and say, if, if God will do it for, for him, he'll do it for me. And so I'm just praying today that, that even guys that are doing good, right. That they would take that, that fuel, that momentum, that blessing that God did in your life and and add it to theirs. So Brian, thank you so much, man, just for your time and your story and your diligence and for pouring out on so many men, you know, that, that, that we'll never see, but, but you're in their life every single day, making a difference. Like it matters, man. And, um, I appreciate you a bunch, man. Thank you for coming on. Hey man. Thank you for having me, man. All right, brave co men. Listen this week, um, take a second and I just want you to take a second and, and really pour your heart out to God. Make sure that, that you are, connecting with him, that you are in that place where you're being honest with him and the community around you and that you're growing your life and not hiding it and, uh, and let God touch the deepest places of your life. And and so he can ultimately set you free and empower you. So if you enjoyed this podcast, would you please share it, like it, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It helps to spread the word so much. Otherwise, men have an incredible week. We will see you next week on the Brave Co. Podcast. Stay brave, men. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Brave Co. Podcast. If you like this podcast, would you please rate it, review it, leave us a great comment. And if you like this episode in particular, share it with your friends and family. That helps us to spread the word. Guys, stay brave. We'll see you next week.